Here we are. So I was just mentioning, I don't have to guess uh, where Dan and Joe are from because they just have such a, such a California look going on. Gentlemen, how are you? We're, we're doing well. It's good, to, it's good to be here. Just like to point out, Dan's not actually from California. He's a transplant. So he's, I, we've definitely adopted him and his look is definitely adopted as well. Yeah, yeah but now, you, I ha, now, I have a, now I have a kid from, from California. So she'll... Uh, true. This there is you true. go. This Where are you from, true. Dan, originally? Uh, originally from North Carolina, like Charlotte okay. area. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that's not... I was going to say like, you know, if you're from like Minnesota or something, then, you know, then you're maybe like a total imposter, but you're from, you know, you're from the opposite coast, at least. Uh, I, would, I would say when I first got here, I was a bit of an imposter. Yeah. Picked up surfing, you know, I think once I, once I could stand up and go down the line, like I started feeling like I, I kind of belonged. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're one, you're one of them. So give me a little background. We're going to talk about Haste Arcade, um, which I think is probably like the single most interesting, just the, this beautiful simplicity of your instant leaderboard payout system that you guys created is like the single most interesting use case for micropayments in gaming that I've seen. Um, and it's one of the most like obvious intuitively, oh, that's cool sort of experiences that you can have. We'll get into all that, but I want to get into kind of your background. How did you, how did you get interested in well, I don't know what came first. If you were interested first in Bitcoin and crypto in general, or if you were just interested in gaming, or if you were interested in micropayments, where did, what was the initial interest that ultimately led to getting started uh, with Haste? Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to let you give the, uh, give the background. I feel like we, we give this yeah. one a lot, but it, it, it's, it's really a, a, a fairly long windy story, but Joe, Joe can typically well, can condense that story a little bit better than I can. And I think right off the bat, like it, it, it wasn't really any of those things that you mentioned. Like we weren't gamers. We weren't like micro transact. Like we didn't know anything about that. Um, Bitcoin, we will get to. But Dan and I met playing baseball in the Chicago White Sox system. So we were the minor leagues um, and we were roommates in double A Birmingham. So on the road, you know, you're out there every night. Basically, you shared a room with this guy. And after games, game typically ends around 10 or 11 o'clock. You have like an hour or so to get your food and then get back to the hotel before curfew. Otherwise, like you get fined or you have to play the next day or whatever. Well, in these little towns that we were bouncing around, like the experience was always the same. Like it's the late night. So really the only places that are open are like bars or pubs or whatever. And in the minor leagues, you're basically changing towns every every three nights or so. So what we would keep seeing is, oh man, I forgot my credit card at that bar. Or, you know, if the bar was busy because a lot of these were like college towns, it's like, it takes 10 minutes to close out your tab when you're just trying to, you know, get your food, pay and get out of there. So you make it back in time for curfew. And it was just through those experiences. Um, I got released in 2014, mid-season. Dan uh, was done after the season and we just kept in touch. He was from Charlotte. I was from the Los Angeles area. Uh, but basically I remember like one day Dan just called me. He was like, dude, I, I had this vision in, in the shower or something like that, where you're the, just sh the shower is, is where all the best stuff comes to right? I'm telling you. It really is. Um, he's like, man, I, we were just like at a busy bar and I just like held up my phone and like my order was on my phone and somehow the bartender knew that, that that's what I wanted to order. And so they, they just handed me my like Coors lights or Bud lights or whatever it was in the dream. Um, to me and then it was like that kind of like sparked this whole like 
okay, we had talked about when we were roommates together, you know, wanting to start our own businesses, not really interested in, in working the corporate, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or working for somebody else. And we shared a pretty similar mindset in terms of like life after baseball and moving past the game and not letting that like define you. Cause that happens to a lot of guys where, you know, they'll spend their whole lives and then their career ends when they're 24 years old. And it's like, well, shit, what do I do now? Like, where, where do I go from here? So we were kind of on the same page about what we wanted, you know, after baseball was over. And when this concept came up, it was just like, man, you know, I knew a bar owner out here in Los Angeles. I went to USC and there's like one legendary bar there. It's literally the only bar on campus. It's called the Nino. Um, I, I happen to know the owner pretty well because he was like a big fan of baseball. And so when I was at USC, I was playing baseball there. And basically went to him with the concept, said, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing. Um, could we try it at the Nino? And, you know, we're thinking from a customer's perspective, like, oh, yeah, like, obviously, this makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't anybody want to do this? You can order and pay without, you know, all the BS in between. But his response was kind of like a little bit, you know, shocking. It was like, yeah, that sounds great for my customers. But like, what about me? What are you doing for me? And my bar is already full. Like, are you making more money for me? Are you cutting my costs? Whatever. Can you look at my credit card processing rates, for example? And so that was the first time we kind of started digging into like credit card processing, learning what this thing called interchange is. And like, there's a certain base layer that you're going to pay in fees, no matter what, if you're using a credit card. And what that does is it limits, you know, how much you can charge. That's why if you go to a gas station, you spend like less than $5, they tack on an extra 50 cents, you know, at the pumper when you're swiping your card at the checkout. So we didn't really understand how, how Bitcoin would tie into that at first. Um, but then, you know, just through kind of researching that aspect of, you know, how do we reduce credit card processing rates and whatnot? Uh, I remember Dan's like, dude, I, I found this thing called Bitcoin that like you can send it basically like instantly. And you think about a credit card payment, you know, we think 24 to 48 hours is fast, but is it really like not when you're comparing it to instant? And then on top of that, it's like a fraction of a cent. Again, this is back in 2015 or, or whenever it was when you could still send BTC for, yeah. for really low fees. I was like, this could be something cool that we incorporate, you know, at some point. Now, at this time, we're still young and naive thinking like, you know, this app that we just built is going to go viral. We're going to be on yachts and stuff in like six months and it's going to be great. So we didn't have like a whole bunch of developers working around the clock. It was just us scrapping to get our off the ground. But that's when like it, it first caught, I'd say, our attention was, you know, really early on in bar pay, thinking about the credit card processing fees, thinking about the transaction, you know, speed and whatnot, and just kept our eye on it. And eventually, you know, we got through 2017 where there were all those ICO scams. We were both, you know, members of, of BitConnect. I don't know if you were too, but that was one of no. the- No, <laughs> that, that's you know that amazing. One? Do you remember that one though? Did you hear about oh, it at I, least? I remember. I mean, I remember the memes and stuff. I, I, I pretty much stayed away from during the ICO stuff. Um, I played around with a little bit with like, oh, I'll just, I'll buy a little, like just meme coin shit just to like see if I could flip it and make money, but very, very little. I'm kind of like, if I, if I feel like I don't have an advantage over the market, I don't want to get involved. And I'm like, I can't keep up with this shit. I don't have any advantage here, but it was amazing to watch so many oh. interesting ideas, most of which were just a landing page and nothing real. <laughs> yeah. But. yeah. Just a, a, a quick little landing page and $60 million later. Yeah. I did, mean, did that, you, did you guys like, did you get burned pretty bad on BitConnect? Well, uh, well, we, we, we had me. <laughs> Like you yeah, said, I didn't have like a little system. system. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like how you both said, well, I mean. <laughs> we, yeah, we definitely, 
we got burned on some ICOs. BitConnect, we had like seven layers or whatever it was with the referral going. Like we created seven different email accounts. We were like at four o'clock every afternoon. Like, let's see the new rate that comes out. Like, boom. <laughs> like, yep, yep. how much did we make today? Like, boom. It was really cool. It's so, so this, it's this so is interesting funny. though. This is interesting because there's a pattern here that I think is really common and it, it's instructive and just kind of, there's some tragedy in it. There's some, there's everything in it, but you get this realization that there's a, there's a giant problem. Payments suck. And, and there's a lot of ways in which payments suck for some people. It's they interact with the banking system and they're setting up a new company and they're waiting for a wire to come in and it takes like five days, just whatever crazy stuff there. Or in this case, just the casual payments. You're like, why can't I just instantly conveniently cheaply do this? So you, you come across Bitcoin, you get excited about that aspect of it, which essentially everybody was early on. You realize it's a little harder, more complicated than you thought. You're trying to figure out. Then all this other stuff starts happening in crypto where every, all these coins with all these different promises. And then there's this huge investment opportunity where you feel like you'd be a fool if you weren't getting involved because people are making a bunch of money. And suddenly you're like thinking about this instead of that original payments issue. Right. And then you kind of, I'm guessing, eventually come back to your first love, which made you get introduced to Bitcoin, which is like, okay, maybe the ICO stuff is a little overhyped, but there's still something here around payments and, and some things that you just can't do with, with fiat. I, I've just, I've seen that pattern so many times. That's, I mean, that's, that's 100% the pattern. I mean, we were, we were the original sort of thing that brought us in was like, this thing is going to give us a competitive advantage for what we're building with BarPay, right? And through the ICO thing, like through seeing everything that happened there and just sort of that, you know, crazy rise and then ultimate fall of like everything that happened with that, you know, it left a, it certainly left a bad taste in our mouth. And by that, by that point, the narrative around BTC had already started to change, right? Like when we, when, when we first got in, got in, you know, it was, BTC was the only thing trading on Coinbase. Like, I mean, it was, we weren't like super early, but we were early enough to see that and to be like sending it back and forth to each other being like, oh my gosh, this is, this is crazy. Right. Um, So it was really through the 2017 thing that happened with, with all the ICO crap that ultimately led us to, to just being frustrated because we're like, man, this is such a promising thing. Like this, this idea of being able to move little bitty amounts of money across the internet just seemed like this should be, you know, on top of everyone's mindset. If you're building any sort of tech on the internet, like we've just, you know, we've just stumbled upon this thing that creates all these new opportunities and business models. And like, I mean, that's one of the things that I still struggle with today is like trying to stay focused on what the tasks that we have at hand. Yeah. When there are all these other ideas that keep popping up for things that you can do with little payments. Yep. And so it was really out of that, frustration i think i think we did a good joe you did a good job of covering sort of like the lead up except for you left out the part where we lived on the rv and in the couch well okay so i I was gonna ask (laughs) i mean i got so i got so many things we could cover because i'm so fascinated by people who play sports in the like just below pro level that minor league that's like such a grind it's such a there's something i think is so fascinating about that there's something i'm super attracted to about it but it's like an interesting and then how do you when you make, when you come out of that and decide you're hanging it up and you're done with that, like that could be a really hard identity crisis transition. It's like, you've always been an athlete. That's been your thing. Well, now that's not there as a career option. What's next? I'm guessing, Dan, you're a power hitter. You look like you could smash some, some, some balls <laughs> out of the park. 
I don't no, know. It's, but, uh, it's funny if they wouldn't have tried to change change who I was as a player, uh, that may have been the case. But I, I was I was a middle infielder, and uh, once I got to pro ball, they were like, "Oh, you're not going to be the guy that hit home that hits home runs. You're going to be like, you know, get him on, get him over type guy, guy on second, no outs. Like you got to get that guy to third base type of thing." And that was fine. Like I, I, I was, I had no problem doing that. I ran well, could steal bases. I could bun. I could do all the things that like, you know, you'd want out of a, let's say like a national league utility player, but yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't the case. It was American league my entire career. And, you know, just, uh, I, I it's really funny looking back on it because the game has changed so much since we played, like even this short amount of time since 2015, like it is complete. I mean, well, I guess 2009 when I got drafted, but you know, it used to be baseball. Now it's just like go up there and try to hit home runs. Like everybody, it doesn't matter what position you play. Like everyone's swinging for the fences. <laughs> Isn't it crazy? It is so weird because I remember I was so into baseball as a kid. That was like my first love. And, uh, you know, we used to record games on VHS and stuff. I remember watching, you know, in the 90s when the Braves were super good and all this. Anyway, I was a tortured Cubs fan, but I'll, I'll barely follow it now. But I'll, I'll watch and I'll be like, who is this little tiny guy yeah. who like they're showing how many home runs he's hit. I'm like, does everybody just hit home runs now? Are there any just like base hitters? anymore? No. Um, but, but was that, so I have two questions and maybe they're connected. Was it difficult when you had to hang up baseball? And I know you said you didn't want to do the corporate thing. You wanted to be an entrepreneur. Was it like, great. I feel energized. I'm, I'm done with the sports, you know, thing is my career. I'm going into this. This is exciting. Or was it kind of like, what the hell do I do now? And then in those first couple of years of, of, uh, bar pay, was that something you were just bootstrapping on the side or did you raise money for it? Like, how were you surviving while trying to build this thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say for us and John, I don't want to speak for you. I'll speak for myself, but I think it's probably similar. I don't, I don't think that we had, we had time to like, let it sink in that baseball is over. You yeah. know what I mean? Because we, we legitimately went straight from, I had, I had seven offers on the table to like keep playing from other teams that wanted to pick up last year, my contract with White Sox. And we had this idea. We're just like, dude, let's go for it. Like, you know, we've been in double A, like triple A, like kind of dying a slow death here. We're not getting any younger. Um, let's just, let's go, let's go do this. We have the grind. We have the grit. We think we can do it. We didn't quite realize what it was going to take to be able to be, you know, persistent and determined enough to, to actually get something like this off. I, like, I can like, totally relate, by the way, I've been dying a slow death in church league basketball for the last <laughs> 15 years. So I'm totally, totally know what you guys are going through there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, 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 you know, put together what our, our idea of a, uh, you know, business model was and a, a pitch deck and we went to some friends and family and said like hey like we we really think this would be a cool concept and we think that we can go do it now at the time we didn't have a technical bone up about us right like we were just we were athletes coming out we just we felt like we could we could go make the thing happen um and so yeah we we bootstrapped it slash raised a little bit of capital from friends and family uh and we weren't paying ourselves uh we we had you know I'd gotten a little bit of a signing bonus from, from baseball um, and had some savings and whatnot. I had done a little bit of work uh, with uh, another company that I'd actually got involved with, with some family members in the apparel business. Um, and so I was able to save a little bit. Um, so we, we certainly weren't living a glamorous uh, life as we were starting, uh, starting bar pay there. You know, we, we lived on when I, when basically when the, 
when the devs that we were working with said like, hey, we think that we're sort of at a beta ready phase um, and we're ready to start testing, I got a one-way flight to California. And I was thinking maybe I'd be out here for a few weeks like beta testing. I never actually went back. Like I just, I landed here in the South Bay, like got a taste of surfing and I just, you know, did the thing. But what was funny about that is when we first got out here, Joe and I lived on a, we were living on his parents' RV. And so we were just cruising the RV, like, you know, parking at this little place called Doc Weiler on the beach. And then we were going, we're, we'd drive it to, you know, the local bar where we were testing this app. And that was just a wild, you know, wacky, like crazy time. And then we felt like, you know, okay, this is getting a little bit old. And we had sort of discovered this beach town, Manhattan beach and our buddy, or I guess uh, a guy that Joe played baseball with at USC had just moved in. And so we were, we were kind of crashing with him on the weekends and just like, we, we had a fun, like 2016 summer or start starting this company and just like, you know, had discovered this cool new Joe, beach. Joe just got like a really wry smile when you said 2016 summer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically what we were doing was going to a college bar all day and then going to our favorite beach bar here all night and just <laughs> being degenerates is, is one way you could put it. Being entrepreneurs would be another way you could put it. Cause we were actually getting work done, but we partied a lot that year <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. Um, yeah. And, and we just, I don't know, we, yeah, 16 was, 16 was definitely interesting, but we, we had sort of upgraded, uh, our, our buddy Ryan was like, man, you guys are over here all the time. Why don't you just like stay? And we're like, all right, we'll upgrade from the RV to the couch. So we started crashing on his couch. We were there for about seven months. Um, and then I actually ended up meeting my wife towards the tail end of that summer. And, um, you were like, Hey, uh, listen, I'm an unemployed former baseball player sleeping on the couch and trying to build this business. And she was like, sold. I'm in. (laughs) She's a, she's a, she's a beautiful human being. I'll say that. Um, but no, she, well, I don't, won't, won't get into that. Um, but you know, it, it was, it was an interesting time and it was, uh, you know, it was a grind time. Like we, we, we figured out a way to sort of navigate um, operating on very little. And I think that that's something that, you know, basically like that minor league lifestyle taught us, right? Like you got to learn, you got to learn how to operate on little to nothing and like be able to get by. And we were able to do that. We're able to just be like very, very, you know um, I would say um, it's what's the word I'm looking for. Um, not frugal. It's the opposite of frugal. Um, lean, lean Lean is the word. Lean is the word that I'm looking for. We were very lean with, with the money that we had. And so, um, so so it's fun. It's crazy. I think that we even, that we survived like, and, and bar pay is still a thing in generating revenue. It's pretty wild. So, so tell me, so bar pay, you said is still a thing. It still exists. It does. Yes. Okay. So what, um, how did you get that into market and who are your customers? Uh, give me a quick rundown. I actually, I actually had not heard of it before. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Joe, go ahead. And that was, I mean, at the start, like I said, we had that connection to the USC venue. Uh, so that was our very first place, which was, you know, a place that gets nat- national recognition every year is like one of the craziest college bars. That same ownership group opened another place across town at UCLA, which is basically the equivalent, like the craziest UCLA bar. Um, and, and really from there, you know, it was still just me and Dan, a couple of our buddies would help us out, but 
all the sales, everything was just like us going to the venues, sitting there and hoping we could like catch the owner. And, and it was not easy. Like it was a very difficult industry to kind of break into a lot of these owners. You know, if you think about it, operations in the, in the bar and restaurant industry haven't really changed for thousands of years. You walk in, you tell them what you want, they give it to you, you pay them. And then like you go sit down. It's, there hasn't really been a whole lot of innovation. So we didn't really understand, you know, I wouldn't say that, that these owners were opposed to technology, but the, the best description I ever heard of a bar was like, it's a broken machine that still can generate a profit. So like you don't touch it at all. You don't change anything about it. You keep the operations the same and all that. So yeah, I mean, we, we basically went up and down the California coast, pitching college venues, you know, showing them what we had done at, at the Nino and, and at Rocco's at UCLA. Um, and we had success. Like we would sign venues when we go and spend time in a certain town. If we stayed there and did the marketing ourselves, you know, just like standing outside as kids are going in, hey, download this app, we'll give you a free drink or something like that. Um, it worked, but we kept seeing the same like problem of once we would leave the town. So like, for example, if we went up to San Luis Obispo and signed a couple bars, stayed there for a weekend, promoted, came back down, you know, two weeks later, no one's using it. The staff, you know, forgets how to operate it. They don't do something as simple as like turning on a TV that says, hey, this is where you pick up your bar pay order. And we couldn't afford to, you know, pay marketing people to go there and, and do these long campaigns. So we, we you know, survived um, for a handful of years just off of, you know, that kind of grind of local places that we could drive to if they needed us or, you know, on the busy nights show up there and, and work for, you know, getting people to download the app and whatnot. Um, but it, it just, it really wasn't something that was scalable at the time. And it's still, you know, a challenge every day. Like we, we still run that company on a daily basis. There are some, some more employees now, but it's still a very difficult industry to break into. And so, it's so interesting. I, I just went to uh, barpay.com and I was looking at, I was looking up you guys on Crunchbase as well. Um, very interesting. So you don't, you just pop into a bar. You don't even need an app necessarily. You just uh, can like yeah, scan everything, a QR. everything sort of changed with COVID. Uh, so when, when COVID happened, you know, everything at this point was, was really like that 10 PM to close crowd. It was the high volume, you know, that's what we were focused on. And then mind you, we were like 25 at the time. So we're a little bit right. more seasoned now. <laughs> um, and so it's, yeah, I mean, so we're like highly focused on that college crowd and then COVID hits and it's just like completely flatlined. Like revenue didn't come down. It like went to zero. And at this point, um, I had basically been wearing the sort of product hat with product management hat with that company uh, also as a founder. Um, and I would get super frustrated and talking to our developers um, about, you know, just like, technical stuff right like having dev talk with these people just like like why can't you just make it work guys why is that so hard well and just like understanding different terms that they would say and i just you know my personality type is like i like to understand why it works right like and i like yeah. to, to be able to do that and so i was like look if we're going to be in, if we're going to be involved with like starting a tech company i should probably like at least know some basics of programming and whatnot so i started learning how to program and th this actually plays into not only what ended up happening with, with bar pay, but also, uh, haste as well. And so, um, when, when everything happened with COVID and all the bars and everything were shut down, we needed to pivot or else it was like, this is just, it's going to be dead. And so we had one of our venue owners reach out and say, like, Hey, can you, um, and this is before any of the QR code, digital menus and things that you see 
at restaurants were, were, were a thing. This is like what, probably February of 2020 or something like that. Um, they said like, we're, we're hearing word that like, uh, like they, they may do some restrictions or something on like types of menus that we can have. We have to have disposable menus and like that just seems wasteful. Can you help us digitize our menu? We're like, yeah, that should be easy. Um, we could probably just like put it on a QR code or something. And we did that and they were just like, we're using it. And we're like, well, what if we did that as a service? And then so basically programmed a, a way, a simple way and us knowing sort of how these bar owners worked and how they operate and think, it was like, they need something so simple that's just like anyone can do it, right? And so we basically created a service that allowed people to, uh, you know, allowed restaurants, bars, whatever, to just quickly go on, go in and with literally within a minute or two, have a QR code with their menu loaded up, a PDF version of their menu. Um, and so we just started doing like a very small, like Google spend just to see what would happen. And then like, we were seeing ROI and then we increased it a little bit. Next thing you know, we're spending like legitimate dollars every month just on Google ads. You know, at this point we have 50, over 15,000, you know, accounts that have been created. Like we have, you know, millions and millions and millions of scans of people, you know, doing this. And it, at some point along the way, we were like, well, we've had all these sort of issues with, you know, no one wants to download an app to go and, you know, you go into a bar, like as cool as bar pay is in theory, you get there, you're there to be with your friends, you're there to eat, you're there to have a drink, whatever. Um, we're like, well, we know that it's a pain point. Why don't we just take this idea of, you know, these QR codes and, you know, just make it a web app instead of an app that you have to download. And that sort of changed, changed the game. And like, all of a sudden we went from dying this slow death, like imminent, imminently going to die to like, it got sort of re-energized and, and, and now became a thing and actually is, you know, it generates, I would say, fairly significant revenue. And, and bar pay is, um, it's not, it's not built on Bitcoin or anything like that. It's using sort of traditional payment stuff, right? It is, it is not, that is correct. Um, we've always wanted to implement, implement, uh, that. Um, and I think we get closer and closer every day. Um, but it truly, it truly is the thing that ultimately led to, uh, you know, it led, it led to haste really. Like, yeah. It, yeah. Well, let's, let's get into that. So, so, you know, bar pay kind of revives itself and there's, there's something there. It's making some money, but you still, you still have this interest in some of the things that Bitcoin can do. When did the idea for haste come about and what made you decide to, to launch it? We were, we were sitting in the office one night and um, this was, this was January 2nd of 2021 yeah. this was like the day after new year's and it's like 11 o'clock at night and go ahead yeah we just we were sitting there and we were just like man like why aren't people getting it why aren't people getting this bitcoin thing like it's just so so frustrating um and we just i don't know we just sat there in the office and just kind of like sat there in silence for a little bit we we're just like what can we do to help like at this point we we were just sort of bystanders we we were doing our thing. We weren't really participating at least publicly in like anything that was Bitcoin related. Um, we just, we, we were passionate about it. We, we, we saw the potential in the technology, but we just, we just weren't active participants. And we we're like, is there anything that we could do? Like we have this fairly big network of, you know, bars and things that we've, we've been able to build. We surely we could do something to help. And we just, the, the question that came, that was coming up uh, in the conversation was, um, Joe, do you mind going on mute while those people are talking? Um, it's all good. Um, 
was how, how could we take, how can we demonstrate a micropayment to the real world in a way that abstracts all of the sort of blockchain, crypto, Bitcoin, the things that are going to make people scratch their head and go like, I I'm confused. I don't know what this, I don't know what this is. Right. And, you know, Joe mentioned it earlier. We're, we're, we're not gamers. We don't have a gaming background other than like us playing baseball. Um, and we basically just the, said the like, original, the original gamers. <laughs> right. Um, we, we're just like, well, what if, what if there was some sort of game? Like, what if, what if it was like a game based thing? Like everyone likes to game, you know, casually game. And we just started toying with this idea of like, what could you do with a micropayment in a game? And for some reason, like sort of that old school concept of being in an arcade kept coming to mind. And like, you know, this, this idea of leaving your name on the leaderboard. And then all of a sudden it's, it's one of us said, I can't remember who it was, was like, well, like, what if we just paid the leaderboard? Like, and then it was like, okay, so you put a quarter in and then it pays the existing leaderboard. We're like, whoa, like that's, that's interesting. Right. And that's, that's basically where it started. We're like, well, I'm not a game developer. Like you're not a game developer. Like how, how can we go prove this? And it's like, well, I was like, I think I can program a, a, like a simple game. And so we just, we came up with that, with that game called haste, uh, which is basically just a dot on the screen that, you know, it, it appears on the screen randomly somewhere. You, you see how fast you can tap it. Your score is measured in milliseconds. And yeah. Me and my kids, <laughs> uh, me and my kids have spent many, many fractions of pennies uh, on that damn thing. And I'm not very fast at it. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was, it was funny. Like we, so we, we just kind of, you know, program that game is, you know, like I said, it was insecure, you know, junior dev at best, just like, but you know, it was, it was, I think, I think the hand cash connect SDK had just, came, had just came out. I was actually excited. I was, I was playing with the, with the connect. Um, I was playing with the connect documentation while I was home for Christmas break. And I was starting, it was starting, things were starting to formulate in my head before we even had this conversation of like, what, what all is possible with this? Like there's just, my, my mind was going nuts. And so program this game, got like all of the ILP mechanics working. And then we just put out a tweet. It's like introducing, we were like, we're going to call it instant leaderboard payouts because that's what it is. Um, and, you know, some people picked it up. The next thing you know, like it's getting retweeted. And, you know, very quickly we went from, you know, basically this idea in our head to like, there were hundreds of people all around the world playing the game. And the next thing you know, it's like, there are thousands of people playing, you know, all around the world. And um, we had had some, some people from the community that we had had looked up to and had watched in videos and things reach out and be like, Hey, like, we think you're onto something like, can we help blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, we're getting invited to Zurich Switzerland to speak on panels about the future of gaming and micropayments. And we're just like, well, what's going on? I think, <laughs> I think ultimately what, what caused us to, to realize, like we knew that there was something to it. Um, but then unbounded capital wrote an article called Bitcoin unlocks the future of gaming. And through that article, they, they described exactly what was in our head and exactly what we were thinking. Yeah, we had never had any conversation with these guys. And we were like, okay, they get it. This, this, could, be, this could be a thing. And there's a much bigger play here rather than just this simple little, little game that had been built. So 
tying, you know, Barpay and Haste are, are very, like, I would say integrated because the very first people that we called when we were like, okay, this could be a thing was uh, we hit up Eric LaForce, who is now one of the uh, co-founders of, of Haste. And basically said like, hey man, like nighttime project, you know that we've kind of been into this Bitcoin thing for a while. Like we, we, we may have something here. Like I, and we explained it to him and he was like, yeah, guys, that's actually a really good idea. They were in, they come from a consulting background. Eric was leading like a team of 200 developers at a, at a consulting firm. And he was like, that's a really good idea. He has a twin brother, Keith. Um, he takes this idea to Keith and they basically came back and were like, guys, like, this is a really good idea. Like we really, really like it. We've never seen anything or heard anything like this. Um, I was like, well, here's, here's what we would like to do. Like, do you guys want to be involved? Like we would like to basically take this, this concept of ILP, turn it into a platform and allow third-party game developers to start building and submitting games and, and basically adhering to this, what it is really is it's just a, it's an incremental source of revenue for a game developer. It's a new way to monetize. Um, and so they, they were like, they were pretty high up over this company and had some equity and whatnot and were making really good salaries. And they basically came back and said, like, we're at a place in our life where we feel like we can take a risk. Like if you'll have us, like we'd love to join. And we're like, dude, let's go. Um, yeah, that's so awesome. they, they both joined as, as our technical co-founders and yeah, we just started, we just started sprinting towards putting this, uh, putting this platform out. And it's, it's actually really crazy, man. Like to, to think, in such a short amount of time, like what's been accomplished. Um, like when you go to the, to think that it started with this very simple little dot game and to now go into the arcade today and just, just see even, you know, the jump game and the lost game. I don't know if you've seen those yet, but it's just a, it's just sort of night and day between starting at this little dot game. And now we actually have like, you know, a 3d game in there and it's like, it's only going to get better. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, hopefully in a minute here, we can, we can actually walk through briefly those. For those of you listening on audio, we'll try to sort of describe, but I want to just kind of show a quick glance. And we did a little bit on the earlier episode with Alex Agut from Handcash. He talked a little bit about um, Haste and, and we did some screen share on that. But um, it's funny. I, yeah, I can't help but think about your, your market that you got to know really well with bar pay. I'm like, I can totally see bars having a little arcade game in the corner where you just yep. scan the QR code to, to log in as a user and then you play and it's got the leaderboard and the bar is taking a small percentage of each of those quarters. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, bas- we're basically in a place where there's so many cool things that you can do with this concept that like, we just need, we need, a few, gear- we need a few gears to click. We need a, a few key like metrics to be like, okay, this is real. Like we, we know that the concept is real. We have some early indicators that this could be a thing. Now we need to go spend some marketing dollars, which we've just started doing. Uh, we need to see some gears click and, you know, we, we need to start bringing on resources that can go do these things because ILP in the physical world is really, really fun to think about. I mean, yeah. like the, the, yeah, having, you think about like, the physical, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean like, whatever, top golf, batting cages, whatever. There's putt putt, you know, there's a lot of things where you can start to, well, so this is an interesting strategy question is sort of, I guess there's two separate questions, but the on sort of a go-to-market strategy or distribution, you know, going right to consumers first and saying, you know, get people to play these games digitally. That's one strategy. The other is more of a 
channel partnerships model where it's like, can we find people that essentially can utilize this technology? And you guys, it kind of seems like with the platform approach, you're doing a little bit of each, you're kind of marketing, you know, Haste Arcade to consumers directly as a place they can come play games. But then you're saying, look, we're not going to develop all the games. We're going to be a platform for others. What is the, because like it totally makes sense to me, the platform play, right? It's brilliant. If we've learned anything from the last decade or whatever, it's like do integrations, be a platform, let an ecosystem form around you. I mean, look at Salesforce, right? Look at Slack, look at, you know, um, let other people develop on top of your thing. But there's also like a, a challenge of if you haven't demonstrated the killer app or something that makes people like, oh my gosh, this is amazing yourself, right? So like, how did you to answer that question of, okay, we made this, this little game that was a great MVP of this ILP model. Do we need to ourselves build the game that's really, really cool to show what's possible? Or do we immediately go to the platform and hope that game developers are going to come and make the game that makes us popular. You know what I mean? It's like you're you're it's like it's like the it's like a social network or something that's relying on user generated content. It's like how do you it's that cold start sort of thing. How do you kick start it with something really really good that makes people come? How have you guys thought about that question just sort of from a strategy standpoint? I think it's I think it's mostly about just trying to show it on a smaller scale and then you can scale up. Like it's I think we're seeing seeing the first we're we're seeing bits and pieces of it right now with jump right like the the you know the first set of games that were that are in the arcade they're all very very basic very all like all simple um but like jump all of a sudden like we started to see people saying like oh jump's really addicting to play like i find myself killing time just playing this game it's it's going to be little things like that i don't think that yes i mean it can happen overnight like a killer game could just happen we're certainly not expecting that to happen what we're looking for is small incremental things that are going to happen that, you know, and we can control our own destiny in, in a sense in that uh, we do have some game dev talent on our side that can help build these games and stuff. Um, but it's really about creating just a fun place to be, right? So like the first, the first iteration of arcade is this like ILP concept, right? But that's not where it's, that's not where it stops. I'm probably getting a bit of, ahead of myself because I know we want to cover some of the things that we're going to do. Um, so I'll kind of lay that to the side for now, but it's really about, I think, just demonstrating at a small scale, like, hey, here's a game that took us a week to build or two weeks to build, right? And, he, and this is the amount of time, this is the amount of resources that we put into it. And this is the return that we got on investment. Okay, what happens if we go build, if we take a month to build a game? What happens if we take six months to build a game? Because there's a very clear correlation between quality of game and engagement, right? Like, you know, the ILP concept has its challenges in a global, in a on a global like leaderboard because you start learning, you start running into these things like these power laws, right? So, Rainy, anyone that plays in the arcade knows who Rainy is because he's always at, he's always at the top. Now, there's a direct correlation between how often he plays and his scores. It's a sort of proof of work. Like he's he's played more than anyone by a long shot. Um, and therefore his scores are the best. And so he kind of sits at the top of leaderboards, but there becomes this problem where let's say you have a hundred person or a 500 person or a thousand person leaderboard, but you have a million people playing. Now it's like, is it, 
is it still fun if I know that I'm never going to get on the leaderboard? Now yeah. it just kind of comes like a lottery. It's like, maybe if I get, if I get lucky and I go on a good run and I land on the leaderboard and I'm there for 10 minutes, I make five grand or whatever it is, you know, cause at that scale, the numbers start getting silly. Um, yeah. And there, there's some interesting like game design things that I can imagine evolving around that. Like certain types of games might have a greater ability to place, as a first timer versus others, or you could, you could even play around with time bounded multiple types of leaderboards, like a real time leaderboard, a daily leaderboard, whatever. There's yeah. like, there's some different things that I can imagine evolving. I'm curious on the, like, like, let's say you went to a studio that is, that makes a bunch of apps already, like whoever makes clash of clans and whatever they, they usually eventually congregate, you know, aggregate into these studios that own or make several, and say, here's this piece of technology you can integrate into your game. Is there a challenge with that approach because this is built on BSV and like that adds complexity to those people? Like, like is this something you feel like you can go outside of the network of BSV developers and pitch it to sort of normie developers and they get it and there's a there there? Or is there like a, is there like a reason that that's a hurdle that can't get overcome? I, I don't think it's a hurdle that can't be overcome. I do think that the the drama surrounding BSV is it's it it sucks. Like not not, it not even not even just the drama. I just mean like pragmatically. Like, well, my users don't want to have to go obtain BSV. They just oh, want to okay, use yeah. Apple Pay. Well, so that's a that's certainly a, a point that um, you know we we have been thinking about for the last couple months. Is we've been so focused on onboarding because we actually at this point we don't even consider ourselves a crypto company like. We're just sort of using it as, as the, you know, it's, it's the, it's the plumbing really like, yeah. Well, cause, fact, yeah. Cause you can't, you can't do hundredth of a penny payments. Right. I mean, we, we literally just released uh, yesterday um, sort of the next iteration of the arcade, which includes uh, haste credits. And for all intents and purposes, like you, you can't even see, you can't even see Bitcoin. You can't even see what's going on. It's I, I can come into the arcade, sign in with, Google sign in with Twitter and, you know, I can use a credit card, buy some haste credits and start playing the games. Now under the hood, ILP is still occurring, right? Like it's coming, it's coming out of the haste wallet instead of, you don't even have to have a hand cash wallet to start playing now. And that's what we've been, that's what we've been trying to get to is like, dude, all, all the stuff that's, that's happening in, in the space and whatever, it's like, it's all a Fugazi and we're so close to it that it feels so real. And so like, it just feels like, Oh, this is what it is. But dude, the, the world that's out there, it's so big. There's so many casual gamers that don't care about crypto. And we just think that they'll, they'll be into this concept, right? Like take crypto out of it. And that's ultimately what we've done. We think that we're at a, we're finally at a place where we feel like it makes sense to start spending some marketing dollars. Yeah. Nobody, nobody cares about, the technical specifications of the solution they care about getting the problem solved right i mean it's just a classic stuff you hear like whatever don't sell don't sell a drill bit sell the the hole right that people want to, to drill with it or whatever so like this idea of oh we got to go evangelize people about a protocol it's like i don't you don't go to evangelize people about javascript you just build some really cool shit and if javascript is the best tool to build it you build it and if people like that thing they don't care. They don't have to like 
the tool you use, they don't have to care about it. Can you do something for, is that can you find a relevant market that you can solve a problem for that makes them really happy? Or in the case of something like gaming, it's more like delighting them. I mean, I guess you could define it as solving a problem of wanting to be entertained or being bored, but like, can you delight people and give them that experience that says, well, this is really cool, this is fun. And at my test is always with my kids. I'll be like, hey, get on here and play this thing. And if they think it's really cool, it's like, okay, there's something interesting there. If they're like, what is this Bitcoin thing? Why do I have to do this, right? Then it's like, okay, this is not made for, this is made for by someone who loves the solution and is trying to find a way to sell it to someone versus someone who loves the market and the problem and is just using Bitcoin to, to do something. So are you guys able to, um, do you want to do a little screen share and walk through a couple of the things on, on Haste? Yeah, I would love to. All um, right. I will, let's see. I think something something you started to hit on there too when you're talking about you know are you guys trying to get game development studios or users and like it is a chicken or the egg but one of the other things we've said kind of from the beginning was you know we are personally yet to see a blockchain company you know outside of an exchange actually advertising to the non-crypto community like if you scroll through instagram if you see a crypto ad, it's going to be for FTX or it's going to be for Coinbase. Basically like, hey, this is where you can go speculate on a whole bunch of bullshit. Like that there, there isn't like an actual product yet that has been marketed to the masses. And that was something, too, that we were like, hey, and this is what's been so, so cool about the arcade and getting it to the point where like crypto is in the background. Like you can just market this as a regular product. It's like, hey, if you like a gamer here's a new way to monetize, you know, oh. something that you're already doing today. Yeah, I could totally see like a a little ad you know, on Twitter feed or whatever. It's like a GIF that's like, you know, can you do the X one cent per play, get paid for, to, for making the leaderboard exactly. or something and, and being like, okay, I've seen it enough times. I think I could play this. Let me get on there. You know, you exactly. don't have to, to do any of that. I love it. Okay, so this is Jump. I actually have not seen uh, this game. Yeah, so so Jump is, uh, Jump's the one that I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a good one. I mean, it's not like a complex game, but it's just one of those, it's one of those games that like, oh man, I think I think I can get a little bit further type of thing. So I'll just go in. We'll play the we'll play the micro board that's that's got about it's got 85 people on it at the moment. So I mean, you know, this is one of the things about um so the the number of tabs that you have open is making my left oh, eye start to twitch. Oh, this is this is this is nothing. It can, it <laughs> can you're get, like, oh, this can, is my sixth window. It can, yeah, it can get even worse. <laughs> Um, I don't know if it's going to do it with the, with the sound or not. The okay. sound's definitely good. Um, but we'll just play at this micro level. So it's 10 cents. Okay. And this is actually, this is using a, a credit play. So there's what actually just happened was I had basically bought $5 using a credit card. I don't, I don't have to have my hand cash wallet connected. And now it's just spending from that credit. But this game is... Oh, you God, basically get okay. you get two you get two taps per platform or two jumps per platform. Okay. If if you land on a platform, it resets, and then what'll happen is you'll run into these little stars, and that's going to give you a. God, I wish the music was playing. It's like a bonus jump. It gives you a bonus jump if you if you if you need it, right? So, so like that was two. Oh. Actually, that was, that was two. It wasn't three. So if I ever get to a point, and what ends up happening is it's gradually speeding up. 
Oh yeah. Okay. And then, so what will end up happening? So I now have three, three bonus jumps. I'm in a pretty good spot at this point. I mean, this is basically like a super Mario run with, with shapes instead of uh, characters, you know, ah. he's into this is pretty, it. Now. This is pretty fun to be playing like live like this. Yeah. A lot, a lot of pressure. pressure. Like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm back in my baseball days. When we Come go on. back, when we go back to the arcade, I want to point something out too specific to Dan because he is pretty freaking good at this game. Oh, oh that okay. I'm number one so, and I've made more. Yeah, it, people probably get suspicious if you're too high up your own leaderboard. Yeah, you know but see, I mean? all these scores are on the blockchain, so that's true. No, that is that is one thing that I think Over. is awesome about gaming apps here that. And I know, uh, I know this is a big value prop for for crypto fights. I don't really play that kind of game or understand it too well myself. But the fact that all of the actions are on chain, and so there is this, you know, there if there are people motivated enough to feel like somebody's getting cheated or this, that, or the other thing, like you can go look at all that stuff. You, I could, I could see a third party spinning up some some little thing that's called like the jump analyzer and it like analyzes all the transactions that are being produced by this game and visualizes them in an interesting way and shows you, you know, just for one, just out of curiosity, how many hours do people play or how many things do they do, blah, blah, blah. But then just to look at the payouts and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's what's something that's so interesting about a public ledger and that with this stuff. Yep. Dan, the, the thing I wanted to show, though, was on, on that main page for Jump, where it shows the most earned and the most played. If you click on the most earned, you know, yep. you look at the leaders there, that's, that's more than 100 bucks, which, you know, that's not going to change your life, but that's decent money. And keep in mind, this is with, you know, several hundred active gamers, you know, a couple thousand people in the arcade in total. Going back to what you were saying previously, Isaac, about, you know, is it about getting the gamers or the studios? It's like when you start seeing people who are making five hundred, a thousand dollars in a week or a month, like now you're talking about, hey, I paid half of my rent from from spending, you know, fractions of a cent. That's when I think you'll start to see some rapid like user adoption. Like the first person from the mainstream was like, dude, I don't know you know, how or why, but I just made $800 in, in two weeks from playing Jump, like this really simple game. Like you got to check it out. And that's, that's when you'll start to see, you know, the credibility and everything really, I think, kind of hockey stick. Yeah, the, the, the fun is, I mean, I, I love that you can, you can play with such small amounts. And then, yeah, the payouts are relatively small amounts until the scale gets huge, but you can also play for more. You can play for a dollar or $10. Mm-hmm. And now the payouts start to get, you know, a lot bigger as well. Um, okay. So now you're kind of showing us the, yeah, this is basically just, so most, most people that know about the arcade just sort of know the gamer side, right? Like they don't know and haven't seen the amount of time that we've been putting into the actual developer experience. Right. So what you're looking at now is basically the developer documentation. Like this is an open API. Anyone can access it. Anyone can go build a game and submit it to the arcade. Um, I mean, it's got a beautiful UI. I got to tell you as a non-technical person, usually when you look at this stuff, it's just like, kind of looks like a mess to me, but this is, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, but it looks like it's super straightforward, super easy to work with. Um, so are you getting, um, are you getting developers, um, starting to build, you know, starting to build games? Like how many games do you have right now that you guys did not build yourself? Uh, actually the majority. Yeah. The right. majority of the games that are in the arcade right now are games that we did not build, which is, which is great. And we, we you know, we started that with a, with a, what we called like a, a, a mini developer competition, 
basically just wanted to get our feet wet. No one had used the SDK. No one had, had sort of put their hands on any of the tools that we had built. Um, and yeah, so we did a little, we did a little mini competition to just, uh, you know, see what would happen. And, you know, it, it was, I think, I think what happened is about what we expected, right? We had 10 to 12 games that were submitted. Uh, we got a, a lot of great feedback and, you know, what we want to do in the future is sort of up, up the ante a little bit. Um, and I mean, at this point we've, we've raised some capital. Um, so we're capitalized and, you know, we want to, we want to go out and, you know, raise the stakes a little bit, go get some, some, whether it's a game studio or taking an existing game that has a following and sort of converting it because there is one challenge at the moment. We're working on making this easier. Uh, but the security aspect of submitting a game, right? Like, most game developers are just building client side single player games. And there is a, there is a cheating element or a security element that's at stake. And so effectively what you have to do is you have to refactor your game, your single player game to be more of what you have to adhere to what we call the author, uh, server authoritative model. And so that just basically means that your game state and game score submission needs to be, you know, handled by the server and not the client type of thing. And so that can be a bit of a challenge for, I would say like junior devs or anyone that's, that's, that hasn't done that type of thing uh, before, but we're actively like, you know, trying to create tools and, and things that make that, make that easier. Now, if we went to a AAA rated studio and said like, Hey, it needs to be server authoritative. They'd be like, cool. Got it. We'll, yeah. we'll see you on the other end type of thing. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a barrier for the, you know, the tinker or the, the, the early. Yeah. Um, okay. From a business model standpoint, I get if you're building a game yourself, that it's very straightforward. Let's say that people pay 10 cents to play. You take two of those cents or whatever it is, right? And the rest goes to the leaderboard. From Haste's standpoint, are you, anybody who has a game on your platform, are you taking a percentage of those payments or are you doing something where if they use your API or your ILP you know, code, you're taking some kind of like per activity? How does, how does that business model work? Yeah. So at the moment, um, it's just, it's a percentage of each, each gameplay um, that could change over time. Right now, <clears throat> when you submit a game, you are sort of still responsible for uh, like hosting that game on your own servers, et cetera. What we would like to do and what we ultimately want to get to is sort of a PaaS sort of platform as a service where yep. you just submit your game and we host it, we deploy it. We have all the different things around yep. the world that make latency and all that. Yeah. Stuff. You could almost challenge like a tiered, like, Hey, you want to host it yourself and all this stuff. We'll take yep. 10% or 5%. If you want us to host it and do all this, we're going to take a little more on up the, on up the chain. Exactly. Yeah, it's so cool. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's basically it. So right now it's uh, 70, it's 70%, 30%. Um, the developer, the developer keeps, and we keep 30%. And that's pretty standard in terms of like models that are out there. We don't know if that's the long-term yep. sort of model, but if you come, if you came to us today, that's, that's what it would be. Yep. Okay. And, and they get to choose what, you know, that, that 70, 30 split is of the part that they're taking and they get to choose how much they're taking and how much is getting paid out to players. So at the moment, um, there's a pretty standard, <clears throat> there's a pretty standard set of, um, things that I would say are hard coded, meaning it's not just the leaderboard. We also have player cards, which are an NFT that you can mint. And that sort of stems from, you know, Joe and I's background in baseball and like we thought it would be cool if people could have a player card so if you mint your player card uh, which that is that is one of the features that 
um, should be rolling out in the next couple of days. It's been missing from the beta. It was as a part of the alpha, um, but it's currently been missing from the beta. It should be out in the next couple of days, hopefully. Um, no pressure, Eric. Um, but yeah, so 10% of every gameplay goes to the player card owner. Um, 10% goes into what's called the Haste Loyalty Wallet, which is uh, basically a loyalty program that we've set up for our early adopters as a, as a means and mechanism for like sort of recapturing some of the value that you get from spending that sort of plays into the whole like uh, HST token. And you're ultimately getting an HST token. <clears throat> There's a daily distribution of HST tokens that are happening. Uh, I can come back to that, but going back to the payment split, it's leaderboard, platform, developer, um, player card, and loyalty wallet. Those Interesting. So, so the leaderboard, totally get that. I get the other one. The player card, is that whoever holds the card of the player that just played? That's or, correct. Okay, got it. So, so you I can could, hold so your I own. I could potentially sell my player card to someone else. Yeah, absolutely. So you mint it. If you're playing on, if you're playing and you have your own card, you just yep. get a 10%. Like, Yep. you become one of the outputs in the Bitcoin script, right? Like yep. uh, if, if for whatever reason, like you've built up some cool stats and people like you as a player, it's like, oh, I want that card. You could go buy that card and make them an offer or whatever. And now that I hold it, if I hold your card, when you play, I earn that 10%. Yeah. So you want to hold, uh, what was that guy's Rainy. name? Rainy or whatever. Yeah. yeah you want to yeah. hold Rainy's card there. Um, I mean, I just, I love, there's so many things you can do. Like you mentioned rewards tokens. There's, because of the ability to attach payments and data to be able to split payments in all these ways, to be able to issue tokens on top of this, that's all done on chain. So it's all, there's just so many really cool layers and permutations that you can see here um, that like, and again, that's what's great about making it a platform. You can kind of create the, the guardrails and then you can kind of see what do people start inventing and what do they start coming to you asking for? Hey, we want to do this thing where we do this. And then this other thing is, you know, can you make that possible? Um, okay. You mentioned when we got started that the ILP instant leaderboard payout, that that's just the start, that the vision is so much bigger. And then you sort of, you sort of gave us a teaser and said, you'd get to that. What's, what's the big vision. Give me, give me the, the big long-term pitch of what you're trying to build here at Haste and what's that future look like? Joe, go ahead. And if, if you miss anything, I'll, I'll, add <laughs> yeah, I was going to say like, which one, I mean, there, it feels like there's like four or five, like big term visions. Also, it's, it is kind of loud in here. Um, You're fine. But I, I think, I think in terms of at least with, with the arcade, right. Where we want to take ILP specifically. And this is just one of the, you know, three or four other major things we want to do. But the AAA studios, like Dan talked about, you know, you go and play Call of Duty or something like that. And now there's not just like, you know, the overall score leaderboard, but there could be like a headshots leaderboard within the game. There could be, you know, consecutive games played where your uh, kill to death ratio is a certain amount, or you could do it in a sports game. There's just like, yeah, how, a, much, how much ammo you have left over after each exactly. round or whatever. Yeah. Because of the micropayment, you can assign it to any of these things. Like, that's what's so cool about micropayments. It just, it creates all these new, you know, potential business models or revenue streams that these, I don't think these game studios realize yet. 
But anyways, so for, for ILP, working with, you know, the AAA studios, getting it in major games that are played by 10 million people, but then also taking ILP into the physical world. So the example that we talk about a lot is like a Peloton, for example. You go on your Peloton, you're logged in, you're watching your instructor. There's 2,000 other people at the same time logged into their Pelotons on the same course as you. If you want to, you know, you can spend a penny or a dollar or whatever saying, I'm going to have a really good ride. I think my time on this particular course is going to, you know, beat whoever else is doing it at the same time. I, I could see, it. I could see something that almost combines. Um, there's an app called uh, Hona, which is sort of like a personal Hona, yeah. app. Hona, yeah. We're like, you're a Peloton and you're like, okay, I'm going to do 20 minutes every day for the next 30 days. I'm committing to that and I'm going to stake 50 bucks. Yep. And if I don't hit it, that gets paid out to the, to the top people who showed up every who, day. Who did it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You no. Know? Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a, be a cool little partnership with Hana, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so you have that aspect of it. You have, you know, the loyalty side of ILP as well. So not necessarily like a micropayment in BSV, but think about going to a grocery store or, you know, staying at a hotel. One of these types of businesses that has huge loyalty programs. Uh, you know, every time you're going there to, let's just say your local grocery store, you're swiping your card, you're paying X amount of money. Well, if you want to join their loyalty program, because of the micro payments, because, you know, what is it, is it really that big of a deal for a grocery store who's bringing in, you know, millions of dollars of revenue to subsidize one or two pennies per, you know, credit card swipe to pay out in terms of loyalty tokens. I think, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do with that type of technology. Like I was in Las Vegas last week, same type of deal with a casino. You know, I'm not going to be spending actual BSV when I'm playing blackjack prices fluctuating, but for the actions that I'm taking in that casino, and it doesn't even have to be gambling now, it's like, oh, I went to you know, the restaurant and I got casino tokens. I went to the pool and I got casino tokens. And they already have their player card type of things, right? Like they have, if you spend your money at this particular hotel, you get these benefits. But you start thinking about tokens on an exchange, what you're going to see is like, well, yeah, maybe the MGM Grand is where I'm staying, but the tokens that I really want are to the win because their pool party is really cool and I can redeem win tokens. So now I can actually exchange those just because of, of like tokenomics and whatnot. And so I think that's, that's just another like for ILP, right? Like it doesn't have to be currency that you're dispensing. It could be tokens. It could be basically anything. You don't have to attach a value to it, but you can start plugging it in to these other, you know, verticals. So I think oh, it's, it's so amazing. Like a marketplace for rewards points where I can be like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm moving to a city that doesn't have whatever Dave and Buster's or a gas station that I go to. And I got all these points. I'm going to go on this exchange. And I'm going to trade them for some other kind of thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, there's so many things that kind of layer on top that again, because of the ability to make these instant really small payments and the, the properties of, of Bitcoin, you can, you can just start to get, I, I mean that, okay. That's the biggest challenge as an entrepreneur. Like the way to be successful as an entrepreneur is to say no to a lot of really cool ideas so that you can win on the one or two. So how do you guys, how do you guys deal with having uh, so many possibilities we, and deciding which ones to focus on now? We battle that like every day. Um, <laughs> and, and that'll kind of tie into, and I'll let, I'll let Dan take the next one, but it's like, you know, the end goal for ILP is like I've kind of mentioned, but then we've, we've talked about too, what about a physical haste console? What about a console that's actually powered, you know, by the blockchain and enabling all these other things. So like in terms of that bigger picture, 
you have that. But then for other ideas, you have what I'll let Dan dig into, but we're, we're calling it Haste Labs. And there already are some projects out there. So, I mean, Dan, you, you want to hit on that? Yeah, it, I think to answer your question, it's, it's having, a, having, having a, a team of people, um, which we have at this point, that can, we can come together, have strategy calls, um, and make collective decisions around these things, right? Because I don't think that the ideas aren't going to stop, right? You know, w- we could exit one day. And it's not like magically the ideas are going to stop. No, the ideas are always going to be there. So it's, it's about, you know, journaling these things, writing them down um, and talking about them and, and basically saying, okay, here's, here's a list of things that we have that we could do. What things should we do? Right. So it's um, I I think, I think the, if it were, if it was just me left to my own devices or Joe left his own devices, like it's very, very, scattered because it's like it's just constantly like coming at us like just things that you can do right and so we we have an amazing like team of people that that's working on this project um eric and keith they bring so much so much experience not only from like a technical side but also just from like a a, you know business side right um you know the the company they were with was a large large exit like i said they were up at the top so they have they're not just technical guys they have a lot of business acumen and it they just it's just, they're good. They're good to, you know, throw ideas off and, you know, they can reason with us and, and all those things. So I, I think the, I think the answer to the question is like just relying on each other to make, make the decisions on what would be important to move forward with, but it yeah. is difficult. Like it's a challenge, like Joe said, every single day. Okay. Um, you just, you just said haste labs. I have an idea what this might be. And if it's so, um, I think it's really brilliant, but you got, okay. What is haste labs? So haste labs is uh, where we throw noodles at the wall and see what sticks. It is, it's basically a way for, um, it's a, it's a way for us to take these ideas and be like, Hey, let's go spend, let's go spend very, very little money, very, very little resource on an MVP, which in a lot of ways is what we did with, with haste, right? Like, and let's go see if it, so so these are, so these are internal experiments that you're running so they're in they're internal until they're not so like it's it's like this is a cool idea let's just tease it let's go put it out there so like one example of that is take it so take it nft uh that is a that is a project uh of of haste labs right it's it's not a scalable solution it's not like meant to be anything crazy it was just a very very simple concept of could we gamify the experience of buying an nft for for the for the end users and it's like, hey, like I don't think it would take that long to 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 build this concept. Like, let's go put it out and see what happens. And we we happened to put it out, and you know, a decent number of people like responded to it uh, in a very positive light. And so that sort of gives us the that sort of gives us the go ahead to be like, hey, like maybe we should maybe we should spend a little more time here and and sort of take this thing to the next level. So Haste Labs will will it will be an incubator for these ideas. Uh, I think in a longer term picture i would love to see it become like a thing in, in and of its in and of itself meaning it's not just like internal but it's like we're taking we can help take any idea that that anyone has for micropayments or right. whatever and help incubate those ideas and give I mean, the resources that, to get it off the ground that was immediately what i thought when you say hey slabs i'm thinking you have a you know you can set up a, a fund and be an accelerator or, or um you know incubator i'm thinking you got you got people coming on your platform 
building stuff on there and your ability to identify early, hey, this looks like a really legit game. Okay, we have a standard 50K seed investment and you come and you come to our accelerator program yep. for, you know, a month or three months and we give you a little bit of support and try to help you learn how to go raise your first round of funding, put together your thing, work on your thing. Like, I feel like you're positioned really nicely by being the platform for them to build on to be able to identify who are the winners, who are, who are some, somebody that's tinkering on a game and they don't maybe necessarily realize how much potential it has or they don't know how to go and take that and turn it into a business. Um, again, that's the problem. There's a lot of opportunities and you gotta be, you, you gotta, gotta be stay really focused. focused at each step. Yep. But that's, that's kind of something that, you know, Bitcoin enables also. And, and I'm gonna, you know, Jack Lou, love him or hate him if you're in the community, he's been, he's been great to us and really helpful along the way, but he, he constantly harps, you know, Bitcoin is very fast. It should be very easy. Like it, it doesn't always need these long, like drawn out business models and plans. Like you should be able to, to come up with an idea, just like how haste or how take it started. And two weeks later, like you have it in the market and it's actually having like traction and success. And I think haste labs, you know, that, that is kind of the focus. It's like, yeah, you know, we could talk about, okay, let's build out, you know, a full haste console and all that. That's not a haste labs project. That's like an actual, we need to go get series a funding. Yeah. Haste labs is like, man, what cool things can you do? Can the, the, you know, like Dan is, is a junior developer. What could he build and launch in two weeks? And it's like, and a, it's like a perpetual hackathon. Exactly. But that's what that's Bitcoin enables. That's what, that's what Bitcoin enables to actually like monetize these, these, you know, very small hackathons. It's incredible. Yeah. That, that immediate market validation is really, really cool. Is really fun. And, and there's something cool about being in a, you know, obviously there are uh, downsides when it comes to overcoming, you know, what, what they say, crossing the Canyon and startups coming away beyond the early adopter, true believer market into the mainstream market. When you're working with a really small niche, like in this case, BSV people, but there's some huge advantages for really early validation. You immediately, you go, you go throw up a tonic pile campaign for 50 bucks. You go do a genuine retweets for 20 bucks. And instantly you have a small group of rabid testers who know, all know about it right away. And they'll all get on there and play around with it and poke holes in it. And you can get some really rapid validation and iteration in those super early stages. Um, that I think is like an underappreciated aspect of building on this stuff. Okay, before we before we go, one thing that I did not we did not get into. I'm curious, you know, you got into Bitcoin in uh, 2015 and you liked the, the small cheap payments. 2017, you saw the ICO stuff. When you know you built this on BSV, how how and why did that decision come about? Because that's one of those like, okay, well, why not? Ethereum or Solana or Bitcoin Cash. I know why you didn't build it on BTC because you can't. I also know uh, actually on Ethereum you can't. But there's you know there's second layers. Why not the Lightning Network? How did you guys make that technical decision? You don't strike me as religiously devoted to a protocol. You strike me as trying to build some cool shit. So what made you decide to build it on BSV? Well, I mean, we we had we had followed everything that ha was happening with with BTC, the forks, and everything else. Like we we tend we we tended to gravitate towards Bitcoin Cash when uh, before BSV was a thing, um, and I, I think that's sort of a lot of people's journey, right? Like yeah. we we sort of followed that big block mindset uh, because it just made the most sense, it right? It just like, why? makes sense. <laughs> it just makes sense. Like I, I don't. It, it's 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 crazy. <laughs> 
like hearing other people talk and it's like, you know, had a conversation with, uh, actually, I'm not going to, I'm going to name who it was, but it's a high up at a high up company in the crypto space that everyone would know. And it's like, they're, they're demoing their thing. And, you know, it's just like, dude, this is so complicated. Like this is, this works for the crypto crowd, 100%, but like, good luck. If you're going to try and take this to, to, to mom and pop and grandma and, you know, anyone else that's out in the real world. Um, and it just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like we felt like finally it could be done like on, on something like BSV, but we didn't make the decision just like out of the gate, like, Hey, let's do this. I mean, part of, part of, part of it was the, like me playing around with the hand cash SDK, like yeah. that definitely changed, changed the mindset a lot is like, okay, these, these things are possible. And I can see it because I, I didn't have the technical knowledge to like go build a Bitcoin script and all that. Right. Yep. So it's like, okay, this is just a, this is JavaScript. This is no JS. Like I can, I can, I can mess with this. Um, so once we had the idea and was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to build the platform. We're talking to Eric and Keith. It's like, I started going around discord channels and, you know, asking Solana developers and stuff. It's like, here are the requirements. Um, you know, can, can we do this? How many, how many, uh, how many transactions can we squeeze into a, you know, how many outputs type of thing can we, or recipients can we squeeze into a single payment? Questions like this. And it just like, you know, Solana, for example, you, you mentioned BTC, Ethereum, completely out of the question. Gas fees, yeah. it just, it's not even, it's not, you can't even give it thought. Um, Solana ticked most of the boxes. It was like, okay, at the moment, gaming's massive, right? So like from a scale perspective, it's like, okay, like, 50,000 transactions per second, like that sort of ticks the box. Uh, from a fee perspective, it ticked the box. Like the fees are low enough on Solana, at least right now, uh, that that it would technically work. But then when we get, when we started getting into the weeds with like what is actually technically happening with one of these ILP payments, it just fell apart. And like you, you know, not only not only from like the technical perspective, like there are probably people that are that are listening are like, oh, balk at that and say like you could definitely do this on Solana. You could, but the technical way in which you would need to accomplish it is like queuing up the transactions. And then my, my pushback would be like, what does that actually create on the support side when you try to pay out 500 people and, and five to 15 of them fell? Because in that account-based model, yeah. you need to run through and process the transactions like this, right? Versus with the UTXO, UTXO model, it's like input a million outputs. What are like, not a million, I, but- I know, the, I know the UTXO- model a lot of people give it shit for like oh it's not very efficient blah blah blah. but the how the number of things you can do with it simply without building a whole bunch of additional right. tooling is just like exactly to me magical exactly and so we we had the decision we either can can do what seems to be working and like looks like based on what we're seeing like it looks like it's scaling and we're just we just tried to be objective and not use like get involved in all the all the stuff i mean it's like what you said it's just like it makes sense, right? Yeah. Like it's, it, there, there's really no other two ways about it. It's like, I will say this though, we are, I would say we're chain agnostic, at least from a platform perspective, we want to build things that people are going to use and want to ha- and, and want to have fun using. So like for some of these other features that we're, that we're excited about, like rolling out like tournament mode. So like tournament mode, if you ever played like uh, online poker or anything like this, um, you kind of have that poker room where you go in you can sit down at like a sit and go, or you can, uh, you know, have like a free roll tournament or whatever. We've just started toying with the concept. We, we just ran our first, uh, sort of guaranteed prize pool tournament the other day. It's 
all manual. It's not like the actual built out platform that's all in the works, but it's this concept of going and sitting down at a, at a table uh, with 10 other players and you're going to play jump for three rounds and you stake 10 bucks and it's, there's a prize pool and you know, whoever has the highest aggregated score at the end of the tournament takes home the pot. Like those types of things, like sure. Solana works well for Ethereum will work well for. Um, I hope that when we roll these things out that like, with the with the eighty dollar gas fees or forty dollar gas fees or whatever they are at the time that like, you know, the stakes have to be high enough in order to even spend or else it's like I'm never going to go stake twenty dollars and pay forty dollars in gas, but I might go stake two grand. I hope people are playing these games for two grand when we when we introduce Ethereum and some of yeah. these things. But yeah, it's ILP. It's just not possible. So we, we I I you know for people that are listening like we do plan to add other chains um, to things that you can do in the arcade. But, you know, if it's, if it's IOP related, like it has to be, it has to be Bitcoin in its original form. Well, I'd say too, even, even in that tournament mode, you know, that you described, like there isn't a single thing that we've at least concepted out that BSV can't do. So BSV will be an option for all of these future concepts. It's just like, what other chains would this be possible on? So we can get more people into the ecosystem and then kind of like us, like if, if you're around this stuff, eventually it, it just seems like all roads kind of point down the same direction, which you you end up at BSV if you're actually worried about utility and what you can apply this to. And if you keep seeing the same, you know, blockchain on tournament mode, on take it, on ILP, it's like, dang, what is this? Like, why is this one possible on all these different products that are being put out, yet I can only use my Ethereum, you know, for super high transactions in tournament mode? It, it just seems like people will naturally, you know, and maybe this is the, the problem that we've had in BSV is just thinking that people will think and, you know, come to this conclusion on their own. But, you know, with, with enough time, and Dan touched on this earlier, we are still super early. Like this yeah. is still, the masses have no, they don't care yet. So I think that as we bring more and more people into the ecosystem, they'll just naturally start gravitating towards what they can use across a whole bunch of different products that they enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, kind of this, this series is all about, because I think the same way, like, I don't, I don't have a, I don't care which protocol is used for what I just want it to work and I want it to be able to do amazing things. And so people will be like, well, why BSV? Well, what about this? What about, and I'm like, the, I am talking to anybody that's doing anything right now today that's active, that actually works. And like you said, that immediate spin it up, put it out in the market in a week. Right. And then you can see how it works and all that stuff. Anywhere that that's possible, any protocol is doing it. I don't care. And like, if you're built, you know, you're built on what works today. If something works better tomorrow and it makes you be able to bring this to more people tomorrow, great. Like, let, let the protocol developers keep trying to compete and make things better and see what works. But I just think it's absurd to, I think it's absurd to try to build something on a protocol that requires future that requires problems to be solved that haven't yet been solved and to, to just bank on some smart developers fixing it in the future and be like, well, our, our company, our business model will work if they solve this with the next update. And it's not, and it's unclear whether they will, you know, it's like, <laughs> well, well mean, no, that's a, that's it's a great that's, way to put it. You know, it's, it's such a good point. It's like the, the guy we were talking to the other day, um, you know, there was a very important feature that Handcash has, which is, I'll just explicitly state, it's the spendable balance feature. 
That's a very important thing. Like the, the UX problems that emerge from needing to sign every transaction, like when you're trying to build, think through building the product, like you need, you need to be able to, and it works for some things, right? Like DeFi, like if you're buying a, an NFT, like I can see it, but if you need to do multiple things or you want to have the experience of just like gaming and pressing restart and playing again, it's like, I don't want to have to press the, the button every time. Right. So I was talking about, um, you know, that's a very important feature that we need in the arcade if we want the experience to be good enough to go to a mainstream user. Well, it's like, okay, well, when, it, you know, when is this, when is this going to be like done? Because they're talking about rolling this, this feature out. Um, and it's a very, very popular wallet. If you've ever used Ethereum, you probably use this wallet. Um, I'm not going to state it because I don't know who watched it. We'll, we'll end up watching the video and I don't want to. Anyway, everyone watches these videos, Dan. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's like, when, when is this going to be rolled out? And it's like, we're, we're shooting for Q3, Q4. And it's like, well, we're building our product now. Like, we don't have, we don't have till Q3, Q4. Like, it needs to work now. And we all know in technology, like, Q3, Q4 really means Q2 of next year, right? Like, <laughs> 18 months. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. That, and I think there's definitely a, you know, because people will say, well, look, Sure, BSV might work today for some of this stuff, um, but it it still can't handle whatever a million transactions per second. Whether or not that's true, I'm like, well, yeah, maybe. But I would rather use something that just works now. I can get it working, and then if we get to a point where it stops working, okay, let's let's see what's you know what's going to happen as we're approaching that point. Where is it going to go? And just constantly monitoring everything else, rather than say, well, let's build it on something that doesn't work today. And then just hope that it starts working. Hope, like right, got, right, right, right. You got to get it your hands. You got to get out there in the market. It makes it makes no sense. Like we can we can take this project right, and if we need to pivot, we can pivot. Yeah. Right. But like I can't. We can't go build what we're building on Ethereum. And it's like oh, but layer two. Okay. Well, when layer when layer two gets here, maybe we will consider it. Yeah. Right. The end of yeah. end of story. It's just like again. You know, it's a, it's amazing the things that I find just completely rational and just like to the point that it's just yeah. so hard for people to just. It, well, I mean, what is that? What is that with people? Like, that's why, what led that's what led haste to to become a thing. It's like, how do you just show people? Like, look, yes, you can no, just do this it. now. I mean, that's it. It's like, shut up and show me. Like, and and I think that's really the magic. And I and I love what we're seeing unfold. That hand cash is kind of in that spot of a really great user-friendly, jump on and get a wallet. You can even top it up now for with a credit card and then access a bunch of apps. And I love Haste is kind of this other layer that's like, now as a game developer, you can host all your games here. As game players, you can come on here and, and play games uh, with a hand cash wallet, or even as you said, with Haste credits. Um, and you're kind of seeing that stack get built and sort of expand the number of people who can just have that experience. And that's, that's the thing. Like, and that was the experience that got all of us into Bitcoin originally. It's like, hey, let me send you some Bitcoin. Boom, it's instant. Oh my gosh, you just sent me a couple pennies. Incredible. How, what is this? Let me see, right? And like creating that experience. Um, and that's what's cool. I always see people sharing like these tweets. You guys get all this great free marketing where they're showing their, their wallet and they're showing themselves yeah, yeah, yeah. getting all these tiny subsent payments for being on the leaderboard. And like, it's just a, it, there's, there's a magic to it. So, Hey, well, um, really excited for what you guys are doing. I think, uh, I think it's absolutely one of the 
best ways for normal people to experience the power of micropayments. Um, and it's incredible what you've accomplished in just a, what, like a year, a little over a year. Um, so excited for, for what's next. Where is the best place for people to go uh, follow you and check out what's up? Uh, I would say right now, Haste Arcade, at Haste Arcade um, on most of the most of the social platforms. Uh, you can go to hastearcade.com or just straight to app.hastearcade.com if you just want to get in and get going. Um, onboarding experiences is definitely tailored towards that mainstream user. So if you're if you're listening and you're not a crypto user, you've never heard of crypto, never had a wallet, um, this would be a great place to, to start, get your feet wet. It'll feel just like any other platform you've ever signed up for. Love it. I think this uh, this is a home run, guys. Yeah, you see that? The baseball <laughs> I see that. There? I see that. <laughs> hey, <laughs> thanks for chatting, guys. Look forward to staying in touch. Thanks for having us, Isaac. Appreciate it.